Well, howdy to our one listener. Um, for those who aren't paying attention, this is not Emily or Maggie. This is Leanne, and I'm all by myself, so yikes. This should be interesting and or terrifying. You guys um, can tell me. So today, I'm all by my lonesome. No one else showed up. I'm all by myself. So please take pity. <clears throat> I'm hoping this won't be an utter hopeless catastrophe. We'll see how it goes. So today I'm going to talk about why positive reinforcement training fails. And I'm not coming at this from the idea that it's not effective because it absolutely is effective. And there are very, very few things that we cannot train a dog to do without positive reinforcement. Having said that, oftentimes people begin to go down the journey of using positive reinforcement and find themselves failing. It's just not working. So I'd like to, we're going to kind of visit a few of the reasons that happens and give you some tips to help you, if that's the direction you want to go, help you along so that you don't fail. So the first thing we have to understand is what positive reinforcement training is and what it's not. So the first thing to understand is that positive reinforcement training is positive means we're adding something to the dog's environment. Reinforcement means that we are creating a behavior. So if I add a chocolate bar to your behavior, you are, if you like chocolate, you're more than likely to repeat that behavior. That's positive reinforcement. Um, when Skinner was kind of inventing the whole idea of behaviorism, which is where this stems from, he didn't discuss what we refer to as the four quadrants. I won't get too deep in the weeds in that, but I think this is somewhat relevant. And, but since that time, we have all agreed, those of us who use uh, Skinner and training, we all do, whether we say the name or not, um, behaviorism and training, there are four quadrants and the four quadrants very much bleed into each other. So don't freak out if you don't completely understand. We're going to whip through them really quickly, but I just want you to understand. So there are only two ways, according to behaviorism, to change behavior. We can either we can either reinforce a behavior, which means it's more likely to happen in the future, or we can punish a behavior, making it less likely to, be, to occur in the future. Punishment is a very loaded word, and we are going to briefly visit that, but um, we'll just go with the definition for right now. Positive means adding something. So like I said, a cupcake or, or cheese. I like cheese. Or, and negative means removing something. So taking something away. So I'm going to whip through the the quadrants really quickly here, and I don't have notes in front of me, so hopefully I won't jack this up. Um, positive reinforcement, which is what we're mostly going to be talking about, is how we train most behaviors at the very beginning. That is, I take a food lure. Sorry, Cody's playing with a squeak toy in the background because I'm talking to myself. So <laughs> I take a food reward. I use it to lure a behavior. I say, yes, that's a marker, and I feed the, the reward. The idea is that the food incentivizes Cody or whoever to, to produce that behavior in the future. That's positive reinforcement. Negative reinforcement is often how we train horses and it's more pressure related. So as an example, if you've ever trained a horse, you apply pressure with your legs. That would be considered something that the horse doesn't want to feel, whether you've trained that belief or not. I'm, I'm not hundred percent certain how that works. Um, to be honest, even though I've trained horses my whole life. Um, 
Anyway, the horse goes, moves to evade the pressure and by evading the pressure, they reinforce the behavior. So an example of that would be if it's sunny outside and you're reading a book in the sun, but you like being outside. If it's too sunny and hot, you move away from the heat. That would reinforce your desire in the future that when it gets too hot and sunny, you move away from the heat. That is positive reinforcement. It is more likely the next time that when it gets sunny outside and it's hot, you'll move away from the heat positive or negative reinforcement. So they're taking something away. In this case, you're taking away the sun, you're moving into the shade. It's not, it's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a thing. And it's not painful or terrifying or scary or anything like that. It's just slightly in this case, discomforting. I always use the example of Seinfeld and the close talker um, episode. If you've ever seen that, or if you've ever known anybody who gets right in your face when you're talking and uh, you have to keep backing up they're accidentally using negative reinforcement. So what they're doing is they are invading your space and the behavior they're reinforcing is that you keep backing up until you're trapped in a corner <laughs> and then they can go on and on and on about whatever their ridiculous theory is. So that's negative reinforcement. Now we get to the positives. So positive punishment is the one that we're most familiar with and most often discussed and, and most often brought up as a, something to be avoided. And so positive punishment is a speeding ticket. Um, I'm, I'm driving along perhaps excessively fast. A officer pulls over. He's added something to the situation, his presence, and now a ticket. And that's positive punishment. Um, using uh, any sort of violence at all is positive punishment. And you can see how that can quickly slide. So, you know, is positive punishment the officer giving me a ticket or is it negative reinforcement? The idea that he's taking away my money with the idea of reinforcing that I go to the speed limit. Um, the outcome dictates that. We're not going to get too deep in the weeds, so don't worry about that. The last one is positive re... Wait, where was I? Where am I? I'm in... <laughs> This is why I need notes. I've done positive reinforcement, positive punishment. Oh, negative punishment. Negative punishment is taking something away that you enjoy. So this is what most people use with their kids and we often use with our dogs. So that is no more Xbox for you until you do your homework. That's negative punishment. So that takes something away with the idea of suppressing not, uh, not doing homework, if that's the thing. Well, that's fast backwards. Let's try that again. So... <laughs> If I take something away and wait, what am I saying? Negative reinforcement, take something away. Nope. Negative punishment is trying to suppress a behavior. So in this case, the behavior is screwing off and not um, doing your homework. So by I want to suppress that behavior. I want to suppress you screwing off. So I take away your Xbox. You can no longer screw off. And now you're hopefully, the idea is that I can rebuild the behavior. So again, oh, I made this really shitty. You can Google it. Uh, but anyway, so, but what we're talking about today is positive reinforcement. And positive reinforcement training tends to hang out in the quadrants of I give your dog a treat or I take something away. Because you can always think, well, if I withhold food, that is in fact negative reinforcement. But with withholding food, I'm trying to create a behavior. In this case, generally do the thing I want you to do or don't attack my hand while I'm feeding you. So when people go from the old, 
older styles of training, it's it's easy to use positive punishment. Let's get, let's start there. If my dog is doing something I don't want them to do, like right now, Cody is eating the foot of one of her stuffed cows. If I don't want her to do that, it's very easy for me to add positive punishment. I can say her name aggressively. That's adding something to the environment she doesn't want. I can say no really loudly, which again is adding something to the environment that would make her stop doing the thing. I could throw a shoe at her. Any of those things are considered positive punishment. And that is usually our go-to solution for things because they're quick and easy and dirty. And, And I'm not ever going to say that under every circumstances, that's the bad option. What I am going to say is that most of our training, and I want to, I want to say probably outside of the herding context, which is a completely different situation, I would like to say 90 to 95 to 99% of our training should fall under positive reinforcement training, where we're building desired behaviors with reward systems. So if we go back to Cody chewing the foot off of her cow, what could I use as a positive reward system to make her stop? Well, I'm hearing tearing sounds, so I'll illustrate it right now. Cody, come here. So that's nice. Let's pull the stuffing out of your mouth. Dear God, dog. Really? So (laughs) I simply called her over. Oh my God. And now I'm removing stuffing from her mouth. Calling her over is a reward for her. I'm petting her. So she is no longer doing the thing I don't want her to do, which is destroying her cow toy. And she's being rewarded for an alternate behavior. So that's, excuse me, Dice. Um, That is a, that's positive reinforcement in action. How convenient that Cody was able to illustrate that for us. So let's talk about why it fails. So there are a couple reasons why it fails, and we're not going to dive into all of them because I think they're, they can be pretty deep. But I think the number one reason that people struggle Oh, okay. I'm lying. The number three, the number one through three (laughs) reasons. See, this is why I need help. Um, Number one through three reasons that positive reinforcement training fails are failure to adequately and appropriately reward behavior to create a long learning history. That's the first thing. And we'll talk about that in a couple of seconds. The second is to appropriately set up an antecedent picture. I know big words, but we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes that will create success. And that's, that's number two. And the third is that sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our heads around the, the right solution as it were. So again, again, it's, it's, it's easy to just think, I'll just chuck a shoe at Cody and she'll, she'll knock it off. Or I could yell, knock it off and she'll knock it off. But that is, adding punishment. Well, I don't have to add punishment. I just called her over and she was distracted enough to not be murdering her cow toy anymore. So that's positive reinforcement. So let's start with the, this is the biggest one, failure to adequately reward behaviors often enough and created enough of a learning history to make sure those behaviors are ingrained. So I'll discuss the recall right now. So because this is a great one. Uh, recall is a fancy word for coming when called. Um, I want my dogs to be able to call, be called off a deer. I want to be able to call them off. I have to call them off sheep all the time, call them off the chickens, call them off the ducks, call them off whatever they see. I need them to drop everything and come rushing towards me. And I don't use punishment in my training. So their emotional state is enthusiastic. They're like, we am coming. So even though Cody was over there happily doing something else, right? I, I'm, asking her to choose me over chewing the foot off her cow toy. 
that's a choice. And I'm asking her to make that choice. And in order for me to ask her to make that choice, I have to set up a certain kind of picture. The first part of the picture is I need to have rewarded her recall a lot. And, and I'm going to say literally thousands of times. Now, does that mean I sat around with cookies for the first 18 months that I owned her? And every time I called her, I gave her a cookie. I'll be honest. I don't even, I don't even have treats in my house. I, I have dog kibble in my house that I pay, play with that I use for, for training. I don't have fancy treats. I can't be organized enough to buy them. I run through them too quickly. They're expensive, blah, blah, blah. So no, I don't honestly use a lot of reward-based, treat-based rewarding, and except for at the very beginning when they're puppies. I didn't get Cody as a puppy. So anytime I train a new behavior, yes, I will have a cookie in my hand and I will say, come, and I will shovel a cookie into their mouth like a Pez dispenser. And I will start off there. And then, but then I don't walk around my property with cookies. If I did, oh my God, my dogs would mug me. I would never get anywhere. I'd just have dog snot all over my legs. Yuck. So no, but if they come to me, by God, I, I thank the hell out of them. I play with them. I pet them. I do everything in my power to tell them that the thing that they just did was groundbreaking, was amazing, was fantastic because I need that behavior to be sharp and fast and not something they have to think about. I need it to be positive all the time, which also aims us down the picture a little bit of that antecedent picture I was talking about. So antecedent simply means a picture that you set up that creates success. So let's give an example. Cody, all my dogs, love water, unless it's coming out of a hose, in which case only a couple will like water. But none of them like it if it's coming out of a hose and going on their body. Like, I don't know, how would you define that? Oh, a bath. They all hate baths. They'll spend all day rampaging around in stinky, steer manure, yucky ponds, but you take out a hose and it's like they're beating with a stick. So, so if I call her and then give her a bath, that's an antecedent picture that tells her that being called in that context is crap. She doesn't want to come to me. If I do that often enough, she's going to stop coming to me. She's not an idiot. She can do the math. If Coming when called means the end of fun. So this is a perfect example of what people in the city often do. So my dogs have free range. If I call them off one bunny, there's another bunny. There's no part of their body that brain that says, oh, I've been called off this one awesome adventure and I'll never have another. That's the luck of where I live. That doesn't happen in the city. If you call your dog off a cat um, that they're chasing, you can't say to them, well, next time you can chase the neighbor's cat. It's just never kosher. You can never chase the neighbor's cat. It's not cool. So when you call them off, you're calling them off the best adventure they've ever had, depending on the dog. And you're calling them off and it's kind of a lifetime gig. You're not going to get another chance to chase a cat. So we have to set up an antecedent picture that creates success. So we don't spend our time calling our dogs and quote unquote, punishing them. Again, if I'm doing something freaking cool as hell and you call me away from it and I can never do that cool as hell a thing again, I'm not going to come to you. I'm not an idiot. So if the only time you call your dog is at the end of fun at the dog park or to put on the leash at the end of being off leash somewhere, they're going to start doing the math and they're going to figure out coming to you is a bad bet. 
that nothing good comes of it. If you call them for baths, if you call them to put them in their crates and they don't like their crates, if you call them um, to brush them or you call them away from cool things over and over and over again and never replace them with other cool things, they're not going to come. I wouldn't come. So you have to think of coming when called as kind of a debit. You are taking away from a bank account. And every time you take away from that bank account, you better have a lot of money in your account. Really? Dice? Dice? You are just squeaking. Thank you, honey. Um, so Sorry. So anyway, I don't want to keep taking money out of the bank account. I need to keep putting money into the bank account. And yes, there are times I'm going to call them off a deer and they're going to be like, well, that was really cool. I was pretty certain we were going to have venison tonight and they don't want to come off the deer. I don't blame them. They're having a blast, but I've put so much money in the bank and the, the reinforcement history is so, so, so strong that they know that coming off the deer is going to lead to something awesome. And even the awesomeness is my attention for a couple seconds, the weight of all the other stuff that I placed behind that recall cue weighs down on that decision so that our dog is always being pushed forward by the weight of our previous training. And that's where we tend to get, I always tell my, I always tell my clients, be careful becoming too cheap. People really want to get rid of treats. The first thing they'll do is they'll come into class with their little treat pouch and you're 15 treats and I have to spend the rest of the night giving them like cup after cup after treats. Don't be, is they say, well, when do we have to stop? When can I stop using treats? And part of me wants to say, well, when do you want your spouse to stop saying nice things about you? When do you want your boss to stop paying you? When do you want your, when do you want to stop being complimented for things that you do? All of those are rewards. And the fact that we come into a class with the idea that we can meet let's get rid of the rewards is a is somewhat distressing to me and, and part of it is they don't want to carry a treat pouch and i don't blame them hell i own two or three and i can't find them um because i don't train that way i usually have a bucket or a bag on the table and i'll just marker and then go grab it because i'm just not organized enough to keep my damn treat pouches around but i but i want us to think about rewards as being much broader than treats. Treats are easy. And, and I'm not going to say don't use them. Oh my gosh, they are incredibly powerful for building new behaviors. Uh, sit and down and heal and, and all of those things that we organize and we set up in our house and we train tricks. All oh, that's, you can get so many repetitions done with treats, but you've got to build it. You've got to, if I, if I ask for a puppy to sit, I'm paying them. And if I ask them to sit 50 times, I'm paying them 50 times. Then I'll go down to asking 50 times and paying them 40 times. And then I'll go down to paying 30 times for 50 and until I'm going down to once or twice for 50, but that's treats. That's not payment. That's just treats. They're still going to be told, yes, they'll give, be given an opportunity to do another thing that might result in a treat because you have to remember that one behavior can be used as a reward for another behavior. So as an example, Coming when called is incredibly powerful for my dogs. They love it because this reward history is so huge. If I come, ask them to come when called, but I don't pay for that, but then I immediately ask for them to come to heal and pay the shit out of that. 
Well, that creates an antecedent picture for the dog of, I come and she didn't pay me for that, but then I get an opportunity to to do something else. And the opportunity to do something else does lead to rewards. So we have to open up our thinking on rewards. I think that's where people fail on positive reinforcement training is, is the failure to really comprehend the depth of our ability to reward our dogs for behaviors without just shoveling food into their face. Again, I start there. Don't get me wrong. I believe me. Come If you're coming to one of my classes, bring one or two cups of kibble or, or your high value treats or whatever you're using and prepare, prepare to just shovel it in because that's where you build those behaviors. That's the beginning of, if you ever watch a child being trained, which is what we're doing to, to learn language, they're, they're, parents are smiling at them and rewarding every little, oh, look, he said, mama, yay. Everything's a celebration, every little thing. And you got to start there with, you did a good thing. You did a good thing. You did a good thing. Here you go. Food, 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 food. Or, you know, if your dog hates food, try something else. But food is so powerful because you can get a thousand reps in, unless you have a chihuahua, which case you get like four or five in, but you can still use licky. There are all sorts of liquid type treats that you can use. There's other options for little tiny dogs that we can, that we can do that give us the opportunity to provide them a huge reward history. So just be open to the idea of paying attention to your dog and looking for rewards. Now, here's a great way to understand what's rewarding for your dog. Ask your dog to do behavior and provide it with whatever you believe is a reward. If the behavior increases, that's a reward. If their behavior does not increase, it's not a reward. In fact, if it slides backwards, it could actually be punishing. So the perfect example of this is a lot of people pat their dogs on the head. Most dogs, pat yourself on the head. It's not a good feeling. Yuck. Most dogs don't dig it either. So if you're patting your dog on the head and you're watching their eyes kind of blink, do that kind of squinchy thing, and they, they kind of sadly wag the tip of their tail, but not the whole dog that you don't get the whole body waggle. You're thinking you're rewarding them when actually you're kind of punishing them. So yes, the behavior is going to turn to shit. So be aware of the fact that things that we think might be rewarding may not be rewarding for our dogs. And they, the learner defines what's rewarding. Chocolate's rewarding for me. It may not be rewarding for you. I mean, a lot of people like wine. I can't stand it. So giving me wine after a long, hard day, that's not rewarding. I'm not going to work for you for wine. Yuck. So be aware of that. So I think that is the biggest, most important thing. And I can't stress it enough is just pay attention to your reward systems. Any behavior can be trained if you've rewarded it enough. And if you can't, if the behavior isn't happening, if you think your dog knows it and they're not doing it, the first thing I'd look at is what's my reward history and can they do it under these circumstances? So the second, that leads us to that second thing, which is setting up the antecedent picture for success. So this is a great place to understand what we refer to as bad habits. So I'm putting that in air quotes. You can't see it, but it's there, bad habits. Um, so the perfect example of of setting up the correct antecedent picture is dogs who get into the garbage, get up, counter surf, steal food, all of this. If I walk into a casino and I've never been in a casino before and I have a dollar and I walk up to the nearest, what are those things called? (laughs) 
Oh my God, slot machine. If I walk up to the nearest slot machine, I put my dollar in and I win a Ferrari. Am I, are you going to be able to stop me from going into every casino I see and putting a dollar in? No, no way in hell. Because I won a freaking Ferrari. It's cost me a dollar. I don't know what Ferraris cost. Let's say they're $150,000. They're ridiculous. So let's say a Ferrari is $150,000. If I put a dollar into 150,000 casinos, well, A, I don't even know where I'd find that kind of time. I'm still pretty much ahead. So it doesn't cost me anything for the value that I received. So if your dog, if your puppy, if you're letting your puppy cruise around the house and you're not really paying attention because he's more or less housebroken and he happens to tip over the trash and he happens to discover that mostly gone, but not entirely gone, bucket of Kentucky fried chicken. And he eats a bunch of deep fried goodness and some crunchy bones. And then you discover him and you're like, bad dog. No, you shouldn't eat the garbage. That dog just won a Ferrari. He won a Ferrari. And I can tell you that it's going to, I'm going to spend a lot of time and effort making that dog understand that that Garbage can isn't the best slot machine he's ever, ever, ever seen. And I've set myself up for failure. I've set myself up for a dog for the rest of my life that I will probably never be able to trust around a garbage can. Because think about this. If I want to use positive reinforcement training, right? It's very unlikely I use Kentucky Fried Chicken as a treat reward. I mean, yuck. Even if I did, your dog just won the lottery, dude. He's not, he's not gonna, he's not stupid. Every time your back is turned, they're gonna be like, well, yeah, I get paid for not doing it. But when I pulled that lever, I won. And right now I can smell steak in there or eggs or whatever. So setting up a correct antecedent picture isn't super hard, but it does take work. And that's where we kind of become lazy. And there, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a lazy trainer. I, I think that I'm a lazy trainer. I think that most good trainers are because laziness breeds efficiency. So, but having said that, I'm not going to let my puppy wander my house alone. I'm not going to leave a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken sitting in an open trash can. I'm not going to leave my steaks thawing on the counter when I have a young dog. why would I set myself up for such massive failure? But we do it over and over and over again. And then we're shocked at the outcome. And then people go on the internet and they're like, well, how do I keep my dog from doing this? And people always say, e-caller. Well, yeah, if you light the dog up enough, maybe you'll get them to stop. But dogs can see that antecedent picture. Again, here's the power and here's the faulting in that system. Let's say you go into a casino and you win a Ferrari. And the next time you go into a casino and you get electric shock when you touch the, when you touch the, the handle, are you going to never touch the handle again? You won a Ferrari. Probably not. Not unless it knocks you ass over a tea kettle. And even if it does that, maybe you looked around and you saw an antecedent picture. Maybe the antecedent picture was, well, this is a different casino. So I won't go in this casino again. Maybe the antecedent picture is, you know, something, uh, there's a blue light on top of the, of, of the, why can I not remember the name of the stupid thing? They're called slot machines. I should write this down. Um, if you're going to use an example, you should not forget the damn thing. Um, maybe there's a blue light on top of the slot machine. So you start going, oh, I get it. If there's a blue light on the slot machine, 
don't touch it. It shocks you. But the red ones still could have Kentucky Fried Chicken in them. They could still win me a Ferrari. Dogs understand that in the fact that a lot of dogs become what are considered e-collar savvy, where somebody's like, they take the internet advice, they go to PetSmart or someplace, buy a complete crap e-collar that's pretty shitty and just lights the dog up. They put it on the dog. They hide around the corner. You know, they, they know the dog's not stupid. They're not going to do it right in front of them. Again, hand, hand, finger, quote things. Um, they lurk in the house and they light the dog up. And so the dog's like, okay, well, so here's the deal. You can't do the, you can't check out the trash if mom's in the house. Or if I'm wearing this funky collar that has two prongs on it that I can very obviously feel because I'm not an idiot. And then what happens is all it takes is you, you run an errand. And when you're running the errand, the dog walks by the trash, smells a cool smell. Well, might as well take the gamble, right? I mean, we won a Ferrari once. Sure, we got electrocuted once, but ah, come on, it was a Ferrari. They knock it over. They find something amazing. They don't get shocked because you're not there. And now the dog has put the picture together. Okay. It's okay to do this. Because again, they, there's no there's no ethics here. This isn't about morality. This isn't about getting away, again, air quotes, getting away with something. This is about opportunity. And the dog has learned the opportunity cost of, yes, if mom is home, don't get into the trash. Or if I feel the funky collar, don't get in the trash. But under those circumstances, don't do this. But under the circumstances of mom not being home or the funky collar not being on, I can get in the trash. It's not about them getting away with things. It's not about them trying to outsmart us. It's about, because that implies that they're doing something quote unquote bad. That's not how they see it. They see it as, this is amazing. I, we, I just discovered Kentucky Fried Chicken in the trash and I want to get to it again. There's no morality in a dog. They, they don't have, there's no, there's no religion. They, they don't have morality. They just have opportunity and well, what's best for them. And that's, that's, selfishness is not a bad thing. It's what keeps every animal on the planet alive. So, so they're not trying to get away with something. They've just, you've taught them something. And the thing that you've taught them was not what you wanted to teach them. So we do have to set up an antecedent picture that works to create a situation where our dogs succeed. So as an example, and people hate when I say this, when I have a new puppy in the house, they're not out of my sight. Now people are like, well, does that mean they're always in a place command? No, my dogs don't even have a place command, honestly. It means that they're either at my feet, like my dogs right now are at my, at my feet, not chewing their toys, by the way, sleeping. So that's where they are. So if I had a puppy in the house, they'd be at my feet sleeping or they'd be chewing on a Kong toy, which none of my dogs like, or chewing on a cow hoof or chewing on whatever, or quietly gnawing on their toy or loudly gnawing on their toy, or maybe we'd be playing a game of, of tug, not usually in my house, but whatever, or I'd be giving them commands or I'd be shoveling Pez dispenser-like treats into them to teach them to lay down at my side. But they are with me. If I get up to go to the kitchen, I call them. Now they're border collies, so I don't usually have to call them. They come with me. 
But I do, if I go in the kitchen, they come into the kitchen. If I go upstairs, they come upstairs. They are with me. That doesn't mean they're in a place command. I don't have place commands in my house. I don't even have cots. I don't have little dog beds. They lie where they want to lay. So it's not about lack of, of choice. They can sleep wherever they want to sleep in my room, in this, in this room. And even the puppies, if a puppy, if puppy feels better sleeping in a different location in this room, she's welcome to do so. What she's not welcome to do is chew up my stuff, eat my shoes, rampage around the house, discover what's in the trash, um, any of those quote unquote criminal behaviors, because I don't want to create a situation where they pull the lever and they win a Ferrari. So my dogs learn that the lever to be pulled is quote unquote, doing what I want. So if they're quiet in the house, then they don't have to go in a crate. If they're quiet in the house and they're a puppy, they might receive, I don't usually use food rewards for quiet behavior because it tends for my dogs to lift them up. It, uh, food rewards tend to make them, you don't see my hand waving. <laughs> I'm like making my hand go up and down. Like, can you see this? Um, food rewards make my dogs, make my dogs excited. And that, that's how I want to train them. So I don't use generally food rewards for a lot of calm behavior because I'm not going to necessarily get that, but I will use, I'll use quiet petting. I'll use massage, um, all of that to kind of teach them that settling is, is, is a rewarding behavior. Um, I also try to set the anti picture and I seen picture by making sure my puppies are tired. A crazed, happy, joyful, healthy puppy that hasn't done anything overnight isn't going to allow me to get up and work on the computer for four hours. That that's not going to happen. That's not that's not appropriate for me to ask for a puppy. Um, it's not it's not appropriate for me to then crate the puppy to like force the puppy into a, a state of enforced compliance. What I have to know is I have a puppy and I'm going to have to entertain and tire out that puppy before I can ask for calm. And so what I do is I get out the tug toy and I go outside and we do tug and then we maybe go for a little run and then we maybe do some flirt pole work and do some training. So their mind is tired too, because a tired body with a living mind or a wildly excited mind is not a good state for my puppy either. I want both mental and physical tired on my puppy. And then we can come back inside and now we can settle down and relax because I've set up an antecedent picture for success. And this is, again, another situation where people really, really struggle. And it's hard. I'm not saying this is easy. Um, it means that if I go down to the chicken coop and I let the chickens out with a puppy, that I need to probably put the puppy on a leash. I can't let the puppy run free. Most of my dogs are off leash all the time, but if I don't want my puppy to learn to, to chase chickens, I probably need it on a leash. Otherwise, I'm, re I'm reduced to punishment because chickens are intrinsically rewarding. So if my puppy chases a chicken, they're rewarded for chasing a chicken. So of course they're going to do what? More chicken chasing because that's rewarding. So that means that my only way to solve the problem once I've permitted it to occur is to punish the behavior away. I don't want to do that. Now, it doesn't mean I, I'm totally opposed to it. I mean, if I have a dog and I've worked and worked and worked and occasionally they forget and maybe start stalking a chicken, hey, knock it off. But by then that level of punishment, hey, knock it off, should be enough. On a puppy, it probably wouldn't be enough because they don't know what hey, knock it off means. And they don't know what the idea of hey, knock it off, what am I supposed to do instead? 
I need to train what I want them to do instead first. So in the case of chicken chasing, I know what the picture I don't want to see is, right? I know flailing, clucking, hysterical chickens being pursued by an excited, wild-eyed psycho puppy. That's not the picture I want. That's easy for us to think about. And that brings us to the third thing about how we think about behavior. It's easy for us to say, oops, that's wrong. And then we can throw a rock, right? We can say, hey, bad puppy, get over here, rock throw and startle puppy. And now puppy runs away and comes to us. And we're like, good puppy. But there's a better way for me to do that. The better way for me to do that is to understand what is the picture I want to see around chickens. Well, the answer is calm. I want calm. I don't really care what behavior they show. There's no place. I don't teach a place command. I kind of find the whole idea of putting all the dogs in the world on placemats everywhere kind of offensive. They can learn to be calm without a location. So I want calm. Calm can be eating chicken poop. Don't care. Carry on. Enjoy yourself. Chickens make wonderful tasting poop, according to my dogs. I will totally take the word for that. I'm not going to test it. Um, so I'm going to allow my chickens or allow my dogs to do any behavior, any behavior that does not result in clucking hysterical chickens. So my, my going in, I know what the picture is. The picture is calm chickens. So the dog's behavior is actually predicated on the chicken behavior. If I see chickens clucking and fleeing, the dog has done something wrong. So that means I've set up a bad picture and I've failed my dog. So what I want to do is every time I'm down at the chicken coop and I don't see clucking, hysterical, flailing chickens, I say, good dogs, good dogs. You're good dogs. Thank you. Good dogs. And if they run up to me for pets, cause I said, good dogs, they get petted. If they carry on eating chicken poop, carry on eating chicken poop. Good dogs down the chicken coop apparently means eating chicken poop. Why do I care? It doesn't matter to me. So as long as the picture is doing something other than flailing psycho chickens, they're rewarded for it. And the reward isn't huge. Again, I'm not carrying treats. The chickens are. How convenient for me. Um, <laughs> they can go into the chicken coop and they can splash in the water. Good. Good dog. That doesn't cause chickens to cause to become flustered and psychotic. They can lay it around in the bushes. They can grab a stick and chew on it. They can hunt around for lizards. I don't care if chick if lizards are fleeing for their lives. That doesn't bother me at all. Carry on. You want your predatory needs fulfilled? There are plenty of chickens. Or plenty of whoa, oops, plenty of lizards. Go chase a lizard. Go stalk birds. They hate the ravens. So the ravens like to hang out by the chicken coop. So they can do a great job down there not chasing chickens by keeping an eye out for the ravens. So there are, there are a million things to do. And a lot, of, a lot of positive reinforcement trainers will say that we really, really need to make a specific behavior that, that the dog creates in the absence of the behavior that we don't want. So in, in other words, you need to be lying down or you need to be sitting down or you need to be in a placemat. I don't like that. I don't want that level. I don't want to, honestly, I don't want to work that hard. It's that sounds tiring to me. I mean, how, if my dog breaks it down and, and I'm feeding chickens, I don't want to be screwing around with telling my dog to not break it down. So, so if I leave my criteria of no flailing chickens, I don't have to think about my dogs. They can do whatever the hell they want. And they, and they do, they, they entertain themselves perfectly fine. Cody does stairs, 
Cody goes down and stares fixedly at the geese. That's what she does. She stares at the geese and she stares at the ducks. As long as she's not hurting either one, she's fine. If she hurts them, I call her out. She's not allowed to do that. If When Tag goes down there, Tag is usually focused on my hose and trying to attack my water. After she's been told that that's not appropriate, she goes and lies underneath a bush and hangs out. Um, Ruby stares fixedly at the water hose and then stands in the water. Fine. No chickens. I don't care. Billy just wanders around eating poop and looking for eggs to steal. Again, as long as I've gathered the eggs first, that's fine. And if I see her in the, in the eggs, I can call her out, go get, go collect my eggs, give her one. Yeah, I have plenty of eggs. Why not give the dog an egg? Um, give her an egg. She can go off into the desert. She carries them. She doesn't crack them. It's pretty impressive. Goes off into the desert and eats her egg. There's plenty for the dogs to do. The only thing they're not allowed to create is flustered psycho chickens. So, and a lot of times people really struggle with that part of it is what do I want instead? And sometimes the answer is calm. And sometimes the answer is, well, that means we have to praise calm. And that takes work. It's easy for us to see, oh, fleeing psycho chicken, crazed puppy in hot pursuit. No, 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 no. Because we just ignored 15 minutes of that not happening. But rather than ignore that part, what I suggest we do if we want to remain in the positive quadrants, in the quadrants that make our puppy, make our dogs and us feel better, I'm hoping, is the whole time that you, with a young dog, I mean, once your dogs have established a behavior pattern, you don't have to keep praising them because again, they're self-satisfying. The stick chewing, that makes them happy. They're seeking their own reward systems in that situation. There are plenty of rewards available in the environment for them to self-reward, whatever that may be. So, but at the beginning, because chickens are so exciting, I need to really set up a picture that creates a really positive outcome for a young dog. So leash, very simple, have a leash. That permits the dog to not make those mistakes. I will never see a chicken fluttering psychotically if I have a dog on a six foot leash. There's no reason. They might check out the chickens. They might check out some chicken poop. They might sniff around the chickens. But because they're on a leash, I can control the behavior towards the chickens. If they make an act, if I get too close to a chicken, if I'm not paying attention and they make a little hop at the chicken, I can ignore that behavior. But then immediately when they stop fixating, yes, good puppy, yay, treat, 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 or hugs or kisses or let's play a little bit or here's a tug toy or have you looked at this wonderful looking goose poop on the ground that you have failed to eat? whatever it takes. I set up that picture so that I don't create a habit because I'll tell you what, killing chickens is awesome fun for dogs. They love it. Here is this flying feathered clucking chew toy running through the desert and they get to chase it and they get to squish it and they get to put it in their mouths and then it stops making noise. But guess what? There are probably 10 more just like it, just around the bend. And my neighbor's dogs have gotten in and killed all of my chickens. And those dogs weren't bad. They weren't evil. They were dogs. They weren't, they weren't killing to eat because that's not what dogs do. They, now that doesn't mean Billy doesn't eat dead chickens. Billy and my other dogs do eat dead chickens, but they are usually pretty ripe by the time my dogs get them. Um, and they're fed directly to them. It's like, here's your disgusting dead chicken, go carry it far away. And I don't want to see it again. Um, but once, and, and I don't believe in this whole once they've had blood, that's not true. Uh, but it's, it's not the blood. It's the joy of the chase. 
it's this is the coolest damn thing I've ever freaking done. My God, look at this. This is cool. Once you've permitted a dog to to go down that track, now you're left in the punishment quadrant. Now you've kind of got yourself in. Yes, you can go back and try to reward and reward and reward. But I'm going to tell you right now. You're trying to reward your dog who won a Ferrari with a used 10 speed. It ain't going to work. There's, there's very few things in the world more rewarding than a flailing psycho chicken. I know because I look at them and everything about them screams cat toy. So you've got to set up those pictures so that you create a successful outcome. And then your positive reinforcement training can take its place. So it takes work. It takes planning. It takes our, uh, us, the thinking mammal, theoretically, uh, more time. And sometimes we have to think a little, we'd be creative. What's the picture we want to see? How do we set up that picture? How do we ensure that our dog or our young dog or our puppy or our new dog on the property makes those right decisions because we've kind of closed the door to the bad decisions. A puppy on a leash can't make a bad decision around chickens. A puppy at my feet can't make bad decisions in the kitchen because she's in the living room with me. If I'm in the, if I'm in the kitchen with that puppy, and they try to jump on the counter because that's what puppies do. I simply wait. There's no reward for jumping on the counter because I'm standing right there. So she comes off the counter. I say, yes, I give a treat. And then I remember, oh, I should have been treating on the floor a little more. So now I treat a little more on the floor so that the dog understands four on the floor pays better than the jumping up because the jumping up didn't pay anything. Four on the floor pays something. Something is better than nothing. So those are the reasons that positive reinforcement fail. It's not a failure of this system. It's not a failure. Anything except, in my opinion, hurting can be trained using re positive reinforcement. But you've got to do those three things. You've got to make sure you create a huge reward history. You've got to make sure that you set up an amazing antecedent picture. And you've got to know what it is you're looking for. You've got to get your head out of the idea of punishing wrong behaviors and into the idea of setting up and creating correct behaviors and paying well for them. Okay, so I've driven this into the ground and this is my first podcast by myself, so be kind. Um, thank you all for listening and I hope to hear you guys or you guys tune in again, even though it's just me. And hopefully we'll get our partners back because I think those are more fun. But thank you very much. Uh, like, share, review. Shit like, share, review, rate. No, that's review. I don't do all the things that make us tell your friends that we're cool. Even if it's a lie. Okay. And I'll send you some M&Ms. That's how my positive reinforcement works. Say nice things, M&Ms. Thank you all. Have a fantastic week and I'll see you guys all next week. Thanks. This is Leanne. Bye.